0: Hello, and welcome to the March 2019 edition of Organising to Win, the trade union podcast from Unison Northwest. At the time of putting this podcast out, we're just a week away from our 2019 organising convention, Skills for Strength, and on March 16th, we'll be welcoming a host of organisers and campaigners from across our movement and across the world to Manchester for a day of discussions, workshops and discourse, drawing lessons from some of the successes of the last year. Now, back in November 2018, I spoke to two of our speakers at this year's event, Dr Sundari Anitha and Dr Ruth Pearson, about their book, Striking Women, Striking uh, Women. Struggles and strategies of South Asian women workers from Grunwick to Gate Gourmet, and I started off by asking them what they thought of the record of the British trade union movement in standing up for the interests of South Asian women in the United Kingdom.
1: Well, I think it's widely known that Grunwick um, was seen as a turning point in terms of um, representing and supporting the struggles of South Asian women. Um, Though, of course, our book um, throws an interesting perspective on that. And then, um, since the Grunwick strike, or even before, there have been a number of um, successful mobilizations by South Asian women in different workplaces in the UK.
2: I think what's interesting is um, the trade union uh, history, in terms of supporting migrant workers, and particularly women workers, has had its low points. And before Grunwick, there was a long period when the trade, when black and women workers found that when they challenged exploitation and unfair conditions at work, discrimination, they were pitted not only against their employers, but also against their co-workers. As well as their trade unions.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And Grunwick was seen as this point where um, working class, white working class, were mobilized and came together in defense of migrant w- women workers' rights. But um, the reality is a little bit more complex. And we find that those issues about recogni- recognizing the needs and responding to the issues faced by migrant workers is something that the trade union has tried to grapple with, and I think there have been successes over the last um, three or four decades. And But um, while there have been successes on uh, issues of race, for example, um, and we see uh, a lot of black organizing within trade unions, um, these are often led by black men. And the Women's TUC and mobilization of women workers within the trade unions has also been quite effective. But again, if you go to the Women's TUC conference, it's primarily white women. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to um, issues of gender um, and race, I think um, black women workers and their interests have often not been recognised as much as you'd like that to be. So how
0: did women in, uh, for, 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 for listeners who might not be familiar with the Grunwick dispute or not familiar in detail with the Grunwick dispute, how did the South Asian women involved in that struggle manage to uh, achieve that, sort of, that uh, solidarity and achieve that um, broad support and success?
1: Well, in Grunwick, um, the way that the company, which was a film processing company in northwest London, the way that they recruited their workforce was um, very largely on the basis of networks of existing workers, so that there was... Um, a strong network of um, connection between different workers. I think once the dispute started, um, the workers that came on strike were either co-workers of the people who'd initially walked out, or even workers from other departments or other Grunwick um, factories who were sympathetic and supportive of the cause um, and came out in solidarity. So I think it was quite wide across the whole
0: workforce.
2: And how...
0: Sorry.
2: <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. And in Gate Gourmet as well, while mm-hmm. the, um, which was a dispute that happened in 2005, again, it was a workforce which was largely South Asian women workers mm-hmm. and in a very different context uh, in the labor market. So their uh, employment had been... Their uh, factory had been outsourced and therefore their conditions deteriorated. And again, those workers were very um, well-versed in trade union activism. Mm-hmm. And um, they mobilized across the workforce and um, about 700 workers walked out in support of the initial few workers who were locked out of the factory. So there was a strong sense of solidarity within the workforce. And for both the disputes, it wasn't just on the basis of grievances that workers themselves had experienced. Those in other departments where conditions were better also walked out in support.
0: And what was the interplay between maybe traditional trade union class you know, class-related issues, terms and conditions, um, conditions of work, health and safety, what what was the interplay between those sorts of issues and um, gender, cultural identity and race in those disputes?
1: I think the Grunwick dispute is a very interesting um, example of how these different factors intersect. Um, the Granwick workforce were um, of Asian descent, but mainly migrants directly from post-independence East Africa. And their class position changed a lot when they came to the UK. In Africa, they had, um, women had either not worked outside the home, Um, done uh, middle class kind of occupations, but in no way had been involved in manual labour. When they came to the UK, faced with the necessity of working to um, contribute to family income and indeed to try and achieve um, a standard of living which includes owner occupation of their own houses, um, they found that the only jobs open to them were uh, were, um, manual work, Um, which, in a sense, was below their their previous experience of their class position. They were prepared to do that work um, in order to um, contribute to the family income, but they were not prepared to put up with the racist and sexist um, abuse and managerial strategy that they were increasingly faced with at Grumwick.
0: Sorry. Well, I was going to ask you a direct question, actually, Sundari, if I may, because you've collected testimony of some of those workers involved in the Grunwick dispute. What has that testimony taught us about uh, the conditions for migrant workers in Britain in the 1970s?
2: Uh, The workers at Grunwick were selected. They were actively recruited because of their migrant uh, background and because the employer um, imagined that they would be docile they'd be passive easily exploitable and so gradually the workforce changed from being a very mixed workforce with a large uh, uh, majority of white workers to one which was predominantly South Asian and um, but the employer didn't uh, imagine that they'd be passive and found that that wasn't quite the case um, but also the workers talked about particular conditions at work which wasn't just about race because their selection was on the basis of race they were also particular forms of management managerial control which played upon gender and ideas about shame, so the women had to um, raise their hands and ask the managers loudly, the male managers, uh, for permission to go to the toilets, which they found very um, shameful, And, and there were many other ways in which um, the uh, overtime was imposed on them at very short notice and as women workers that has a very differential impact women have to go back home and do a second shift of cooking and cleaning and so women had a whole range of grievances which were n- not just about pay which which are traditional union concerns but were also about balancing the productive and reproductive roles their roles within the home and i think those were issues that the trade union of that day hadn't yet recognized. I'd say even today, there are challenges for the trade union movement.
0: And in terms of their targeting of um, for recruitment of South Asian women, were the terms and conditions less than they would have been for white women?
2: Definitely, the wages went down and um, some of the um, women at Grunwick recalled uh, seeing white women turn up at the door of the factory for a job and being turned away and the managers telling them that, oh, you won't be able to work here for the wages that we can give you. And so the assumption was these workers will work for less and work harder.
1: I think that we have to remember that for the management, what they're interested in is the unit cost of production, and that is a ratio between the cost of employment and how much they produce. And I think we've seen parallels in the construction of a so-called docile, cheap labour force all over the world in terms of um, export processing and uh, factories and so on, where there's a cheap labor constructed on the basis that a women are docile and B they can be made to get to work harder and they won't resist. And I think that's exactly what happened in Grunwick, that the wages were relatively low, but also the pressure to increase their productivity was continuous. So they end up being cheap labor, not just because they're paid less, but actually because they produce more and more.
2: And they're replaceable. And so um, ultimately, if you know, there are new categories of migrant workers, and each new category of um, migrant workers can replace the earlier workforce and be paid less and less.
0: And interestingly, you explore in your book, uh, uh, looking forward to the gate gourmet dispute. Um, you know, talking there about how um, uh, the company uh, were able to divide on racial lines and pay South Asian women uh, less. But also in the gate gourmet dispute, they used different groups of migrant labour. Is that right? To undermine each other. Um, in terms of when the uh, workers had gone on strike and East European workers were b- brought in um, to, to to work in that, uh, that environment as agency staff, is that right? Well it was
1: actually the other way around, wasn't it, oh, because they, <laughs> they walked out precisely because the management had brought in um, East European labour to their 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 place of work, and it was at that point that they left their workplace and went to have a union meeting in the canteen from from which they were subsequently dismissed. Um, So, it was part of the way that their working conditions um, and the pressure to increase productivity had continued since the outsourcing of airline meals from British Airways to the Gate Gourmet Company. That had been going on for some years, and then there was a final straw when, after their tea break, they came back and found East European workers actually standing in their workplaces.
0: So, in in the modern context with Brexit looming and we know how immigration has been used as a sort of rallying call for the right uh, the reactionary right in terms of um, the, the Leave campaign or the right-wing Leave campaign um, and the, uh, the, the issue of immigration being high on the agenda. How, what do you think the challenges that we might face um, after Brexit and how do you think the trade union movement can learn from those two disputes, Grunwick and Gay Gourmet, in how we organise workers in response? Well, I think there's always
1: a danger of, as you say, pitting one group of workers against another, and clearly the Leave campaign has played on that. I think that one has to remember the context. Um, the, the Brexit campaign and referendum and subsequent negotiations have taken place into a, a within a context of political austerity, where the government has chosen, it wasn't forced, has chosen to reduce um, public spending on a range of services that are primarily accessed by working people. In that situation, when you have an influx of migrant labour into an area where services are, being constantly eroded and there's great pressure on services, it is um, working people who are going to feel the strain. And I think after um, whatever settlement is um, reached, um, after a final um, Brexit vote, though of course we all know that that is possible to reverse, um, I think that pressure will continue, and I think the trade union movement needs to be very alive to actually what the real causes are of people's um, discontent and feeling of being displaced by migrant workers, because actually these policies of austerity that are at the heart of it, um, rather than the migrant workers who are often doing working very hard under very difficult conditions.
2: And I think on a note of hope, if you look back at the Grunwick dispute, um, when Enoch Powell made his reverse of blood speech, the um, shop stewards of the dock workers' union marched to the parliament, uh, demanding an end to immigration. and. Um, th- T- around 10 years later, when the Grunwick dispute um, took place, the same shop towards the same union with that banner marched in defense of a m- group of migrant women workers. So it is possible to have a construction of a working class that embraces gender and race. And so I think we need to hold on to that moment. And um, it's possible to have a, a different approach and a solidarity based on exploitation rather than dividing the working class.
0: On that positive note thank you very much.
2: Thank you.
0: That was Dr Sundari Anitha and Dr Ruth Pearson. Another speaker at this year's Skills for Strength will be our very own David Arnold, a Unison Policy Officer and a researcher and writer for the policy group Unions 21. In his discussion paper, uh, which he wrote last year called Change for the Better, Building New Trade Union Institutions that Deliver for Today's Workers, David argues that new institutions and organisational models are needed to tackle some of the challenges facing the labour movement today. I spoke to him about his thoughts on those challenges and the route to trade union revitalisation in the UK at Unison Northwest's uh, 2018 Policy Weekend. So, David, um, we've there's been quite a strong narrative from uh, from the government and uh, the right over the last few months about wage growth in the UK. Um, but what's, in your paper, Change for the Better, you, you talk about um, UK pay and have a slightly different uh, story to tell. Can you tell us a bit more about
4: that? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I mean, I, th- I think there are some interesting things going on with pay, uh, and, and most of it is interesting for the, for the wrong reasons really. Uh, although there has been some uh, improvement in uh, uh, pay settlements, the latest data shows that because wage growth over the last decade has uh, fallen uh, below inflation, it does mean that people are still uh, worse off than they were before the financial crisis. Um, the average earner is uh, still £13 a week worse off than they were uh, uh, in real terms before the financial crisis so uh, yeah it's going to take a long time obviously to to get back to 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 where we were and clearly that's not going to happen at the at the current time with the current labour market policies uh, that uh, the government pursue and indeed the you know the current uh, uh, performance of, uh, of of the economy as well but there's a, there's a broader picture as well you know there is this long-term uh, uh, decline in the labour share the share of the the national uh, income that's going to, to, to pay. Um, there's some OECD uh, data which shows that's been on a, a downward trajectory since uh, pretty much the, the the end of the, the 70s. So, um, although obviously you know there are some good paid jobs out there, lots of people and uh, um, doing well. Uh, the big picture, the the, the structural. Uh, factors behind how the economy currently works um, aren't you know going in the right direction as far as uh, most working people are concerned
0: so given given that does does the kind of precipitous trade union decline since the late 1970s surprise you
4: well the two go hand in hand uh, i i would say uh, I, yeah. I think lots of things have happened over that, that, that period. But certainly, you know, the shift away from uh, the 70s where very high levels of collective bargaining coverage uh, and high levels of union membership and density, uh, that was very much about, you know, a macro level. It was very much about an economic model in which, you know, trade unions and collective bargaining played a role played a role in uh, ensuring there was enough demand in the economy to maintain high levels of employment which was necessary to ensure the tax income to you know pay for you know the more extensive uh, welfare state uh, but yeah since that time the shift to neoliberalism has uh, been very much about taking away all that power f- of the of of the trade unions uh, and obviously the, the the consequences for the economy have been have been quite quite stark and um, other things have been going on as well uh, uh, there's obviously been broader uh, change in the economy the shift away from uh, larger uh, uh, workplaces from you know from from heavy industry uh, how that would have happened under a more Keynesian uh, or a social democratic uh, um, settlement quite hard to guess I think but uh, that that's clearly played a role as well, as well as uh, sociological change with, you know, more 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 kind of individualism and consumerism rather than the a traditional collectivist uh, working class culture. I, I would say so. Lots of things going on.
0: You talked a bit there about the. Um attacks on the trade union movement through the 1980s and, you know, 90s and beyond, really, I suppose, not only in terms of uh, attacks, in terms of legislative changes that have punitively undermined trade unions' ability to to organise, but also, you know, a more ideological attack and um, a media-driven anti-union message, if you like, perhaps. Well- looking at more inwards do you think there's anything in the trade union movement itself that we can maybe learn lessons from or or, or yeah. do differently
4: yeah i i i think so i mean i i try to get at this in, in in my paper really i mean no doubt about it it was all out class war in the in in the 80s there there was a you know a, a kind of semblance of um uh, intellectual uh, argument for doing things differently in the context of Economic decline at that time, but you know, underpinning it all was this, you know, this visceral hatred of uh, of trade unions and you know the the impact that we were able to uh, have on the economy. Um, But I think, probably with the benefit of hindsight, uh, it's fair to say that. Uh, you know, if we were starting, if we were looking at that period again, if we were, you know, the leaders of the trade union movement, we might have done things differently. I, th- I think that certainly with the broader economic changes that were happening, the the, the, the shift to uh, um, you know different types of workplaces, more fragmented uh, uh, workplaces, I, th- I, th- I think we potentially would have done things quite differently. We would have developed uh, different types of uh, union membership. I think that worked. For people that were more uh, focused on the working lives of, of people as they evolved, rather than you know continued to be a model of union membership that worked for you know a particular uh, set of people in a particular historical context. Now I know there are all kinds of problems with that. You know the the the, the um, well the straightforward criticism that you can make. Uh, of that proposition that well you wouldn't be able to have industrial action you know you wouldn't have any real real leverage Um, yeah I think that I think on the face of it that's true but um, I I think you know changing circumstances you've got to try and and evolve and I think we might have done that a, a bit better
0: you described uh, in your paper uh, trade unions as culturally conservative, <laughs> 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 where you know, which I suppose is a, a, a bit of a, a difference from maybe the traditional narrative of trade unions as hard left organisations. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, clarions of socialism. What, in what way do you think that that's true?
4: Yeah, I. I... I mean, I, I joined uh, Trade Union on my first day at work when uh, I, was, I, I left school and I, I got a job. There was something at the time called um, the, the Youth Opportunity Programme. It was a period of high unemployment and the government had this scheme that was about getting people into, into getting young people into work, school leavers into work, um, uh, paying us on the cheap. <laughs> I think I got £25 a week and I was working in the canteen of a, of a power station and yeah, I joined the, the TNG on that on that first day of work in the, in this power station in the canteen. Um, but I, I kind of think that experience—you know, what what the union presented, what the union, what the union looked like, what the union structures were—you know, the kinds of things I'd get through the post from the union, the, the you know the people involved and so on. Um, it, it's it. it it still seems the same. <laughs> I've got one of my one of my youngest uh, my, my youngest son. He started working retail uh, about eighteen months ago, um, and yeah, he he joined 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 the union, and it's it it's like it's like the offer hasn't hasn't changed. Although you know he's obviously very different to who I was. You know he's got his phone and all his apps and he's you know he, he's. Uh, a, a person of the of the digital world, but uh, the, the trade union certainly that, that he joined isn't of the of the digital world at all. Um, you know, he gets a magazine through the door uh, every now and then, and it's just just a million miles away from from. You know, he's not interested at all, and he he wonders what what he gets gets for his money when it came when Push came to shove uh, last summer, uh, the 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 shop that he was working at the 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 period was very making a hot period uh, at the shop that he was working in was hardly any windows uh, um, it was it was boiling hot and uh, you know they, they, there was a bit of a concern that people were getting dehydrated and they wanted to have the shop workers they wanted to have uh, um, drinks. With them while they were out you know working on the on, on the shop floor but they weren't allowed this was considered by their by their managers to be you know quite um unseemly it wouldn't it wouldn't go down well with with customers it would look bad so they, they wanted to do something about this but there's just like absolutely absolutely kind of no no kind of coverage there nobody they could go to no no, no advice no union presence at to speak of, so they didn't. They didn't have a kind of clue about how to, to go about things, and I, I kind of think, uh, or, 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 although that's a particular example, it does speak about how um, our particular union structures. They they, they haven't evolved to take account of where younger particularly younger people are working now and the kinds of issues that they're coming up with or indeed um, the geographical location of uh, where where workers are i mean just to take the shop workers union for for, for an example i mean they're, they're they they don't seem to have any infrastructure or any um, real uh, presence in this in the south east which is you know a kind of huge uh, Retail-based <laughs> economy in many in, in many ways. And I, th- I think they're kind of missing a missing a trick there and, and and I think that that's that's about a kind of culturalism well you know th- there are historical reasons why the shop workers union is is uh, based in the northwest rather than the, rather than London and the and, and the south but you you know you've got you got to build things where where the, where the, where the jobs are and I suppose that's reflected you
0: mentioned in your paper how there has been um, a shift in, in young people's perception of trade unions over the last few years, yeah. um, perhaps because they've got no memory of the winter of discontent, perhaps because of the uh, shift in uh, the policy and programme of the Labour Party and um, the feeling that, that their concerns are reflected in uh, in the political sphere more, more accurately, um, but that that hasn't translated necessarily into trade union growth. So what do you think that we could do differently um, to bring those people into the union, to make unions... Uh, more effective today
4: yeah well i think the 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 main thing is to is 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 to go to them is to is to engage engage with them i mean we're in a bit of a kind of uh you know left progressive bubble really in the in the trade unions and that's kind of part of that kind of i guess political conservatism that goes with the cultural conservatism I, I, i don't think i don't think we listen enough to what uh, uh, young people say about what they what they want there have been some interesting surveys uh unions 21 did did uh, uh, d- some work with uh, young workers in engineering and uh, science related uh, um, jobs and the fabians did some work as well with with uh, with with young workers and they they kind of get get the uh, uh, the ethos you know and that's a that's that's a that's a really good thing but you know on 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 the whole they kind of just don't get our modus operandi they, they don't kind of get how you know we would make a difference to their lives and the only way you can kind of get beyond that i think is to is to to engage with them and you know have in, involve them. If you want something for them, you 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 have to work with them to, to provide it. I mean, in some cases, it might kind of evolve from those people them, 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 themselves. But if that's to be the case, you've got to think about you know our responsibility for providing resources and space to try and try and kind of help that along. Really, the, the 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 most important initiative out there at the moment, I think, is the WorkSmart uh, program that the TUC are involved in. That's about trying to uh, create routes into union membership for young workers in the in in the private sector. And the the the, the, the journey that uh, the TUC went on to bring that to fruition, I think, is quite instructive because they did co-create the model. You know, they they did uh, convene lots of. Uh, uh, Focus groups with young young workers, talk to them about the challenges they faced in their in their working lives, and you know, kind of get get their perceptions of uh, you you know the the challenges and their ideas about how they could be supported, and that's I think going to be quite an interesting project. How that you know how that kind of finally finally lands because they've you know they've developed this app it's very much about giving people support at work career advice mm. uh, advice about employment employment issues um, and and then it kind of gradually uh, um, develops so that uh, at the next stage you know they're, they're encouraged to kind of you know get the get the work smart premium app for which you know which does carry them over the line into into to union membership. So you talked
0: I mean I suppose you're describing there in a way the the, the classic organising model of going out, talking to workers, understanding and listening to their concerns, and supporting and build helping them to build the organisation to then address those concerns moving yeah. forward. Um, the the kind of uh, the, the 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 other half of the title of your paper is, is building new trade union institutions that deliver for today's workers. What trade union institutions do you think that we need to build to? enhance that work
4: yeah well i think there's a big gap in the market for uh, a centre for trade union growth i think that the you know the day-to-day business of uh, if you you know, ensuring the you know the movement carries on the 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 day-to-day tuc business the day-to-day business of the the affiliates and the way they they all all interact in the in the tuc um i i think that 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 Is inevitably going to uh, be a competing priority, you know, to just just kind of keep things ticking over. And that there's something that's needed that's just focused on uh, um, growth, just focused on uh, trying to plug the gaps across the labour market where there's hardly any uh, um, union presence at all, but there's you know jobs growth loads of jobs there so uh, an institution that it would still be of the of the tuc family that it would still be of the, uh, the, the you know the, the the movement's basic furniture it would just be this additional uh, a body that would try and develop uh, strategic and tactical uh, uh, plans to plug the gaps in uh, labor market um uh, organization basically, and uh, what I think it could do usefully, it, in, in many ways, it would it would replicate the best of uh, you know what what Unison's doing in the in the Northwest with the with the care project where you know you've gone out you you kind of mapped the the, the terrain uh, you made assessments about. Um, uh, uh, you, you know what you need to achieve a certain uh, um, a target in terms of uh, membership growth. Uh, you know you've 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 worked out the politics behind it. You've you, you know put 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 the boots on the ground. You you know you've really gone for it. You know really uh, systematically planned uh, how to uh, organize a particular sector. Well, I th- I, th- I think a body that uh, looks looks strategically across the the labour market and ide- identifies you know for example what it would take to organize uh, a sector uh, uh, such as the admin and support services sector which is massive millions millions of jobs in the private sector uh, you know, mapping the employers, uh, uh, looking at the geographic location of them, uh, thinking about what what you know you you would need to do to to, to make inroads, uh, thinking about the the unions that would have an interest in uh, that particular uh, um, sector with those particular employers, and com- coming up with you know, you know with some you know some real solid uh, plans about how to how to do that. I think if you if you had that body and it was focused purely on that, you know, it wasn't wasn't, you know, organising conferences and, you know, doing all, doing all that malarkey, you know, I, th- I, th- I think that would really help us a lot.
0: Isn't the danger, though, at the same time, that if we create something that's um, a new kind of institution for want of a better term, or a new, uh, a new body within the trade union movement, perhaps at a national level, that's doing that work, that it sits apart from our real power base at grassroots level that the members and branches that already uh you know exist or whether density is high or low in a particular area um but the, the, the people who might be quite important in that campaign how how would we avoid that disconnect because i think sometimes that's been a factor of those sorts of yeah. institutions hasn't it so, yeah. so how would you overcome that
4: well I I think you know my my kind of um, my my inner kind of political voice says, "Well, you know, you're kind of you're 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 swerving that by (laughs) uh, creating a new institution that does it completely, uh, uh, you know, separately." But the key thing is, you know, if you look at that sector, if you look at the uh, admin and support services sector, there's hardly any there's hardly any organisation there. Basically, you know, density uh, there is less than less than 10 percent so you know the idea that it's going to cut across uh, um, existing organization well, i kind of kind of don't really think it is and when it comes to the uh, you know the the resource that that you put in ultimately it would have to be new new resource it would have to be uh, uh, you know unions taking on uh, new uh, 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 Organisers and you know new new uh, uh, staff to support that 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 work, um, and ultimately that you know that it would all be part of the same mission. It would all be part of the same uh, uh, you know goal to ensure that you know we're we're improving trade union uh, density and trade union power uh, and collective bargaining coverage. Um, interestingly, I think you know if we get a Labour government and they introduce sector level bargaining Um, the alternative of course would be that you have some kind of uh, uh, you know kind of high level uh, representation for that sector uh, that would negotiate with employers in that sector Um, but you know think about how legitimate that would be and the ability of those negotiators at a national level to have any real clout in the room with, with employers, if they hardly represent any of the, the, the workers in that particular sector, so in many ways it's got to it's got to happen. Uh, you know, we've got to we've got we've got to do it, and we got you know we've got to, I guess, develop our our experience to overcome any problems that there might be in terms of you know things feeling slightly outside of the uh, you know the existing existing op- op- operating model.
0: That was David Arnold who will be speaking at our Skills for Strength convention on the 16th of March in Manchester. Well, before we go, Unison members employed by Alternative Futures Group, or AFG, uh, delivering social care, have been taking strike action in the northwest this month against plans to cut their sleeping payments, which for many staff, already on low pay, means potentially a wage cut of up to £4,000 a year. This move comes after a legal ruling last year that exempted sleeping payments from the national minimum wage. Um, So, to finish this programme, we've a few clips from strike rallies in their support across the region. Uh, last weekend in early March but if you're interested in further information and resources concerning the topics discussed in this programme including how you can support AFG care workers um, as well as access to some of the previous episodes of this podcast uh, and other things too then head over to our website at www.unisonnw.org forward slash podcast where you'll find all of that and don't forget to subscribe to us as well on iTunes or your favourite podcast platform by searching for Organising to Win and hit subscribe thanks for listening
1: I'd just like to ask everyone who really is the vulnerable ones as soon as we walk in that door we're more vulnerable than what the service users are and they're cutting our wage for that it's ridiculous absolutely scandalous it is I lay in bed at night thinking right where can I where can I make changes what can I do we They've already got us on the 544. We're losing more money now. I can't sleep thinking, God, I'm, I'm a worker. I'd be better off on benefits.
5: It's absolutely scandalous. We cannot underestimate the work and the positive impact of the wider health and social care economy. I want still stable workforce. You feel valued. Currently, AFG do not value you by paying you the right (laughs) way. Myself and the other Cabinet members, Steve Rotherham, have wrote to all providers of services, demanding that they give you equal pay and pay the right rates during the night. I recognise the funding hasn't been kept up to speed. Since 2012, you have not had a pay rise. That is an absolute disgrace. This place, yes. But this shambolic government, who only wanted to play deal or no deal with the banker, and I said banker, Jason <laughs> Reece-Mogg, demanding, don't forget, this Tory government wants to get rid of all our workers' rights. Oh, yeah. One thing my dad told me was, united we stand, united we t- and here you go. Yay! Go off, please. <laughs> So, watch that say again. <laughs> and, and this is why me and my colleagues from the Labour Party are standing with you. We will stand with you every step of this campaign. Good luck, and we'll keep fighting
3: for all of you. Thank you. Yay! This this dispute is part of a national public policy scandal in this country that's existed for 30 or 40 years. It's a scandal in which every government of every colour has been complicit. It's a scandal in which every town hall of every political colour has been complicit. And that is the scandal of the outsourcing of public services scandal that's led to hundreds of thousands of workers being transferred from secure public employment like slaves and then of them being treated like slaves by their new employers and this dispute is a case in point and nowhere is that more the case than in social care 40 years ago over 70 percent of residential care was provided in the public sector now only six percent is provided to the public sector. As recently as 1995, 90% of home care was provided in the public sector. Today, only 11% of home care is provided by the public sector. And what it's led to is a race to the bottom. Reductions in the quality of care, reductions in the quality of employment. Only this week, it was reported that over a million workers in the public services are paid less than the real living wage. 80% of those workers are women, and over half a million of them work in the outsourced sector. And AFG is a case in point. Not paying workers by the skills they have or the demands of the job, but paying them as little as they legally can. And the legal minimum wage is £5 an hour, make no mistake, you would only be paid £5 an hour. abuse! And we have this company, AFG, AFG with it's high executive pay. AFG with it's expensive management bureaucracy. AFG with it's anti-union attitude. Boring trade unions from meetings threatening to use anti-trade union laws to stop the strike this week. And And what do they say? What do they say? Your strike will make no difference. Whatever you do, it will make no difference. We've got a message for AFG strikes do make a difference this strike will make a difference just you wait and see this is only the beginning and not only will be we striking we'll be we bringing pressure to bear from you from councillors and mayors and politicians across the northwest because this is a dispute that we cannot lose and that we will not lose sorry They are a non-profit organisation, but they treat workers as bad as the worst private sector, unscrupulous employer. This is a dispute that we cannot afford to lose, and it is a dispute that we will not lose. Solidarity.